Today's episode of Rates and Barrels is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add the flash briefing on your Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 83. It is April 2nd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we're going to talk about some spring pitching notes and observations that came through. Uh, we have some reaction to a topic we talked about last week as part of a, an email we received about concerns as it pertains to starting pitchers building up for the upcoming season. We've got some other interesting questions as well, including one about the baseball. I think I hinted at that at the beginning of last episode. So we're going to kind of clear out the mailbag here, um, mostly because if we don't clear out the mailbag now, I think those messages will be crushed by Project GOAT responses. I think it's fair to say, you know, we've been overwhelmed in a good way with the uh, responses to that project. And another thank you to our friend uh, Pierre Bequet from ESPN for sharing that with all of us because... I think it was, as we've seen in the responses, a much needed distraction for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And um, I know that there's the fun thing is that I know that there's even more going on than in that's going on in our emails, (laughs) Um, because I know that some people took it, uh, took the sheet and are just doing it with their league. Yeah, and that's Um, absolutely fine. We mentioned it at the top. So if you did that. Awesome. I'm glad you got more people involved in it. Maybe uh, once you guys tally it up or whatever, uh, and once we tally it up, maybe uh, get in touch with us again on that email, uh, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com, and just let us know how yours differed or was the same, or if there was something interesting that you guys learned from it. But um, yeah, we'll get to tallying it, uh, and then we'll, we'll come up with a twist. I, depending on how many we have, we may have, um, you know, a, a large logjam of a tie at the top. Um, so we may just ask uh, those uh, teams to uh, break the tie uh, by going back in. But um, there's another twist we have in our back pocket uh, in, in case there is a single winner. So, uh, you know, stick with us and we'll, we'll tally them up. It'll take a little bit of time. Uh, but uh, really excited by all the responses and the names of the teams are pretty great too. So uh, uh, thanks for thanks for naming your teams along the way. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to make tracking all those results uh, a bit more entertaining and fun. Uh, if you haven't received an email response confirming that we received your attachment, don't fret. Don't worry. We are a little behind yeah. in replying to people. Um, it's safe to say I've, I've seen... I think over 200 submissions come in. So uh, we probably did receive your submission. and uh, (laughs) We'll just have to get to them. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to take us some time to score it. We're aiming for Tuesday for the results. I know that's what we said from the jump. I think it's also fair for us to maybe put out there that it may take until next Thursday. We'll try our best to get it done. Uh, Once we come up with a good system, like we have some ideas, but once we actually apply our ideas, we'll see how quickly we can actually score a couple hundred entries. But again, thank you to all of you who participated. We're looking forward to seeing uh, how it played out. And as Eno said, a couple twists are in mind. And I was thinking about a twist uh, to do, do something similar in music, actually. 
Like, what if we did some kind of Project Goat playlist thing on Spotify where everyone could take their own Spotify account and try to make the best possible playlist over a particular period? It could be 20 years, it could be 30, 40 years, however many years we want. And you'd have similar rules where you could only use each artist one time. You could only use maybe two songs per year. I think one song per year would make things a little bit rough, but you could make it however you want, right? I mean, if it's 40 years and you're just asking for, you know, like a 20-song playlist or something, then I think it's it's reasonable to limit it to one year. One thing about that is that people's tastes are so genre-specific that, you know, like I had actually a little bit of, of uh, trouble with um, Adam Schlesinger's death, I guess. Um you know, we are in that stage now where famous people that, that we admire and support and, um, you know, we're going to, we're the, 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 the toll this virus is taking is, is going to become really personal in the next couple of weeks for a lot of us. Um, and so it did actually still hit me hard, even though, um, it wasn't an artist I had, uh, really connected with yet. So just because I sort of knew that, more was coming, you know? So I think these next couple of weeks are going to be really hard for people. Um, they already are. They already have been hard and I'm on day. What is it? Uh, Thursday. So I'm on day 18. Uh, we had a cake. We had a cake on Tuesday and do you know what we sang? Happy 16th day of quarantine to us. Oh, it's like the happy birthday tune, but just, you know, <laughs> Twisted up in some weird, <laughs> we've been stuck at home for a long time sort of way. We were all laughing while we were doing it, and uh, better to laugh than cry. So uh, we've been uh, we've been trying to, you know, there's what's really interesting to me in terms of how to get through this is that the my my um, my routine is a is a lifesaver, right? Just getting up, going to work, doing the work is huge. You know, it keeps you moving. And, you know, you have these coping strategies that you have in a regular week. Um, and, and, and people think of coping strategies sometimes as a negative. But coping strategies work. They are the things that we do to feel better, like running, uh, eating a certain type of food, uh, watching a movie, reading a book. These things are not negatives. These are coping. These are things that, that make us feel better and we do them. However, the, there's a relationship between routine and coping that's really interesting in that if you go full coping, the power of each coping strategy is lessened. So if I just decided that every day I was going to drink two crawlers and watch a Star Wars movie... About three days in, I'd be like, oh, God, like, this isn't working anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, the two crawlers might be helping to uh, <laughs> exacerbate how terrible you feel at a certain point, too. It's a, yeah, too much of a good thing, maybe working too a little bit there thing. with the crawlers especially. But, yeah, the, the strategy is less effective when it becomes routine. Right. So the, you have to you have to I think you have to uh, cleave as close as possible to your normal routine. Um, even if you don't have a job, even if you've lost your job or you're furloughed in this situation, I think, um, and, and maybe it feels like uh, there's no chance of getting a job during this. Um, I think that there's daylight at the end of the tunnel, 
and that just getting up and doing the job search thing, um, you know, getting your name out there, or even just thinking about what jobs you want when we get going again, thinking about where you want to apply, or reading books that have to do with your field, you know, like, um, if you're an out of work baseball writer, like read a bunch of baseball books that you didn't have time to do before, or, uh, even if like, you know, my dad's a contractor, you know, read, read about a skill that you, that you think that you're not, you're not a hundred percent on or something like that. So, um, you know, do like, do something that you would consider work because, you know, pushing out this mammoth, uh, team killer piece that I did today. Um, you know, over the last two weeks, I've done like, like 8,000 words on the, on the player that most killed your team. And, uh, it was stressful and it was a lot of work, but I feel better today. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I earned my beer tonight, you know? So the, the checklist of tasks has actually become more important for me just from a, yeah a home and work productivity standpoint. Like we've got a, a running list of things around the apartment that needed to be taken care of. Like last weekend was like a spring cleaning weekend. Um, not, not to bore people with the details of my isolation <laughs> life, but it helped. Like it felt good at the end of the weekend. We sat there and we had a list, of probably 15 or so things we wanted to do. We knew we weren't going to get them all done in two days, but we crossed about half of them off last weekend. And that was more satisfying than it was pre-isolation then you know we 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 do work type things on the weekend for catching up on bills laundry whatever right and it's just like oh i didn't go do something else but what when you can't go do something else you still need to find ways to kind of mark those achievements and it, and it just felt felt satisfying to uh, cross things off so i've done that with work tasks even kind of small things too things that should only take 30 minutes or an hour i'm trying to write them all down cross them off because it gives me a sense of progress when the day-to-day progress is pretty slow right now, as uh, many of us have, have really noticed. But uh, lots of interesting things to get to on this episode. Again, we'll probably riff on isolation life and in different ways we're coping. I, I was I was just randomly spitting out dialogue from Willy Wonka last night while I was doing the dishes <laughs> and trying to get the voices right. And uh, that was that was my moment of just very, very randomness. I mean, you guys rewrote the words to "Happy Birthday," um, but I, I was trying to do the Grandpa Joe voice and "All right, Wonka, how much for the Golden Goose?" You know, just like, and they weren't in order. Like there, there was there was nothing there, and I was trying to to get the words to the song that Grandpa Joe sings when he gets up and starts running around the bed when they have the golden ticket. Um, that's, that's where that's where my mind was. Wow. At Eight o'clock last night. And we've got we've got at least a month left of this, so <laughs> I'm gonna be really good at the Willy Wonka voices and I'm gonna have the dialogue pretty much memorized start to finish, I think, over the course of the next Are you doing month. some rewatching to to get it right? Yeah, that's that's the thing, is I when I couldn't recall some lines, I thought I I better watch this again and <laughs> just kinda get it fresh in my mind. But uh uh, Wonka aside, let's uh, let's talk about some things that you noticed this spring. I think we talked about a few of these things when you and I were hanging out back at First Pitch Florida. I don't think we necessarily brought up all these players uh, on the show, at least not in, in great detail. And one of the things you were looking at was pitchers who picked up a little velocity back during spring training. Uh, who kind of stood out to you as especially unexpected 
velocity risers. Not that we expect some players to do it, but there's some guys that end up on these leaderboards and lists that we generate that kind of jump off the page because you thought you knew what they were. And in this case, I think you dug up a few names that definitely surprised me. Well, one name that's not on this list here that was very surprising, and I don't know, and the reason I didn't put it on the list is I don't really have an action item off of it, but, and I feel like I've, we've played this game before. You say Kikuchi was up uh, two and a half and sitting 95 this spring, and I feel like he's done that before. Um, And in terms of like my stuff and. Uh, and and command numbers, he uh, does not do well. Uh, a ninety three stuff and a ninety seven command. Um, but uh, one thing I know about him is that you know when Trevor Bauer came to town, they had like a twenty minute conversation in the outfield. Um, I know from my sources within the Mariners organization that he is a dedicated learner, um, and that last year was a tough one for him. Um, I think he lost his father and had a child. Um, and anyone who's had a child knows that is a momentous occasion. It is beautiful. It is lovely. It is also the craziest, most tiring thing that a person can do. So um, I wonder, and then the, the source also said that, that Kikuchi just spent the off season sort of dedicating himself to, to refining his delivery. So, uh, maybe he could come back with sort of 97 type stuff and just better command. Um, and if he got that to like 105 or something, he could be like a league average type starter, deep league, um, interesting player. Whereas, you know, in the past he's been almost nothing, but there were the other names on the list are definitely more exciting. Um, you know, Alex Wood being up two and a half is exciting to me that he's healthy in his healthy years. If he sits 90, 91, uh, we've seen what he can do. Um, I think he's, you know, the, the number four or five in that in that rotation and, and should go with it. Um, but like more exciting is, you know, we've talked about Jose Barrios and if he has a, um, a high ceiling to go with his high floor. And um, other people have said, you know, we've got a decent sample. He doesn't have a lot of strikeout rate. Um, and I would respond that he has a really high floor because he's combined bulk um, with a proven track record at a good age. So there's no real uh, marker that says that um, he should necessarily get hurt. And then on top of that, um, you know, we've heard he's got this extra 2.2 ticks. He was sitting 95 this spring. Um, and then you add to it the fact that he's trying to develop a vertical curveball. Um, and I think if he had a vertical curveball and that slurvy curveball and that changeup, um, I think that that could be the source of more ceiling for him. Um, and, uh, you know, the team was being really hush-hush about it, which to me suggests they're really excited uh, that he might have this new curveball. So uh, I, what do you think of, like, Jose Barrios? We talked about it a little bit on the labor episode. I've been pretty aggressive in trying to draft him in most of my leagues so far. Uh, I think a lot of times he's treated like an SP2. I think in an AL-only league like Labor, you can look at him as an ace. You know, If you're going to wait on an ace, he could fit that description. You're probably going to do something a little bit different with how you back him up. I think we kind of had that broader conversation a couple times. But 
Uh, I just trust that team so much, and I think they've mm-hmm. they were able to get so much more out of guys with less raw talent. That's what right. makes me excited about what they might do, especially with that uptick in velocity. So uh, this would be an opportunity for me. I, I've got a rankings update coming up soon. I think he might creep up a little bit uh, on my rankings. This is a good good reason to push him up, I think, because he was already pretty good without that extra velocity and without that vertical curveball. So you're going to give him two new weapons. Like That's, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, uh, I, I, I agree with you that, uh, you know, the twins seem to do good stuff with a lot less. So, um, and you know, a, a high floor, especially, you know, it doesn't work anymore, but like a, a plan with like a Jose Barrios Thor combination would have super high floor for both your aces, um, and, uh, and decent ceiling. I wonder, let me see if I can identify, uh, like I, I was, uh, if I don't get that one of the top five, I was piecing out and doing a kind of, you know, uh, two number twos kind of idea. And, um, you know, so I have, uh, Berrios 19. Um, I don't think I'd pair him with Granky because I feel like that's too much floor, um, and not enough ceiling, but, uh, Berrios Woodruff, I think would be, uh, that's nineteen twenty for me. That, that would get me, I'd be pretty excited about that at the top of my, um, you know, there's a, a chance that Snell falls uh, when we start this up again. Uh, Snell Berrios would be pretty exciting to me. Um, if it's a deeper league, Berrios Montas is not even that that far off for me uh, in terms of, hey, I didn't quite get one of the top five guys, but I got two guys I really like. Yeah, I thought I had it in terms of the the right concept for rotation build. Mixed auction uh, for Tout Wars was a combination of Barrios at 19, Syndergaard at 17, and James Paxton at 13, and of course with Syndergaard you know, being hurt, uh, it takes one key piece away. But I, I think part of the reason why I wanted to get three from that group was the risk of injury. Like yeah, <laughs> right. Like, and, and it was, at the time, you know, I was more concerned about Paxton still working back from his injury, and we talked about the roller coaster that he's sort of been through and kind of had fantasy owners on for the last couple of months, but uh, I still feel pretty good about that group because I think I built the foundation the right way, even though you know we had one very bad outcome already with the Cindergard surgery. This uh, this the time has given you basically one back and taken one away from you in a way, you know. Yeah, by giving you more time and making Paxton maybe a more viable pitcher, um, it you know, and taking Thor away. So uh, you know, sad about that. But well, I'm trying to. Th- figure out if uh if kikuchi i don't remember if anybody actually threw a late dart on him in 15 teams with six round reserves i think he would have been a fringy reserve pick but i don't think it would have been outlandish to take that chance yeah he actually is on a roster already so he will not be the fab replacement but perhaps uh daniel norris or john means but one of those guys could be and did means not go drafted did means go undrafted? Let's means goes drafted in every league I'm in, and you know why? Because I drafted you. him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Scott Engel got him in, in dollar days, so that's not the option. I'm going to say there's almost no chance that Daniel Norris was drafted, and it's true. He is available. Um, how much was Norris up in Velo this spring? Yeah, Norris was up 1.7, same as Means. Both those guys uh, were, uh, Norris was sitting 92 and a half, 93, and Means is up to 93 and a half, 94. So 
that's pretty exciting for a couple reasons. Means his fastball is not his uh, best uh, foot forward. And if he got to league average velocity, I think that would help. Uh, I also know that he's working on his breaking ball to improve it. If, if um, you know, Marco Estrada, he's basically Marco Estrada. But Marco Estrada, A, never threw 94. And B, never really found a breaking ball that worked for him. So... Uh, if Means gets there, and Means, you know, was a breaking ball pitcher before, uh, so there is a chance that it works. Um, I think there's a chance for him to be better than Marco Estrada. And Marco Estrada, as you know, you might have different memories of him late in his career. He wasn't so great. Um, a lot of people thought he was an outlier, and projections always hated him. But Marco Estrada, with that straight change, I think, deserved a lot of the good results he got. And um, I think the same for John Means. Daniel Norris is a guy that just doesn't have great command. And um, But the thing that's interesting is that over time, his command has gotten better. And it's a little bit like the Gio Gonzalez situation, where I think that he's just gotten better at commanding his stuff um, because he's you don't, you don't normally like throw a lot of your secondary pitches in bullpens. And the more that he throws in games, the more he gets a little bit better command of his excellent secondary stuff. So I have Daniel Norris with 98 stuff, 94 command. Uh, it used to be like 87 command type stuff. Like he's, he's, he's had really uh, big issues with command. So I'll take a 94 command. That's, that's above the shelf for being a starter. And if he's throwing 92, 93, I would say that's probably above average stuff at this point. Um, then you combine it with his home park. Um, and I think you at least have uh, a plug-and-play guy in deep leagues where you can play him against lesser offenses at home um, and in certain spots on the road. Uh, but in a, in a AL-only type situation, dollar, $2 guy, I could, I could see it too. There's definitely the question of if the Tigers are going to bring up some of their young prospects in the rotation at some point mm-hmm. and, and how Norris would fare. You know, they have Boyd, they have Spencer Turnbull, who I know you like a little bit too. Norris could end up being, well, here, I guess this is, this is the way I should ask the question. Do you think any of Norris's secondary pitches are even in the stratosphere of someone like Drew Pomerantz? You know, we saw the Giants move Pomerantz to the bullpen. He had a lot of success, mm. got traded to the Brewers, stayed dominant. Does Norris have a weapon anywhere near the grade of, of Pomerantz's curveball because the extra couple ticks that he already had, if you figure another mile or two per hour on the fastball in short relief, does he have something else that he can use to wipe out hitters and really be effective in that role? Let's see here. I've got an enormous, really fun spreadsheet that has every player's stuff ranking by pitch. And stuff is is W. All right, let's see here. Just W. Let's let's listen as Eno navigates (laughs) his large spreadsheet. Ooh, he has a one thirty five stuff plus on his changeup. Okay. So let's say uh, he's ninety five out of the pen with a plus changeup as a lefty. That's pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I, uh, I, I could see it, but I also see that, 
So you got Boyd, and he's he's if he's healthy, he's in. Uh, I think Turnbull healthy, he's in. Um, and then I would say in terms of quality, I think Norris might be third on this list. Although a healthy Fulmer would be third, and then Norris would be fourth, and then the fifth starter would be Nova or Zimmerman. And to me, Zimmerman has one foot out of the league. Um, so. You know, either they they could I could see them doing a phantom DL slot stint for Zimmerman at some point if everyone is healthy, and then Nova's the fifth starter, and then if they think that they want to try Scooball or Manning or Mize, then putting Nova in the bullpen is not gonna uh, raise any eyebrows or upset anybody, um, and he's on a one year one point five million dollar deal, so um, I I think. And then by that time, let's say you've taken one of your prospects up and replaced Nova, you put Zimmerman in the pen or Phantom DL, by that time you could have another injury um, and get another one of your rookies up. Um, so there's a, there's like a fairly long leash for Norris, I think, too. Yeah, I mean, they could also try in Detroit what the Royals did with Ian Kennedy. Just put him in the bullpen at this point. Zimmerman? You're, yeah, you're, you've got Zimmerman, I mean, could yeah, also yeah. go down that path where it's like you got this veteran guy, you got other young people that you want to give a lot of innings to. Maybe he can find a little extra time at the back of his career going max effort out of the pen. And maybe you're if you're still in full tank mode, maybe you uh you trade a Ho Jimenez. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's one of the uh, the best uh, mispronounced names in the history of our podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. It's definitely Joe. Uh, maybe you say uh, trade Jimenez uh, because he's going to get you more value in a trade, um, and you can cycle through some of your young guys. Maybe some of your young prospects don't make it as as, pit- as starting pitchers, and they become your closer. Um, you know, so. Uh, and then Zimmerman is your stopgap closer. So, you know, there's uh, I think there's a couple ways. I don't think Norris is like the number five right now and has one foot out of the rotation. No, he's going to get some chances. And if he pitches well, then he'll stick. And if he doesn't, then it hinges on just how aggressive they're going to be uh, with that group of prospects. But interesting that Norris's changeup grades out as well as it does because that, that does give me some belief that a contending team might come calling and, and see him as possibly like a seventh or, or eighth inning guy i mean that, that could be in the cards especially with these with these better spring velocity numbers you know it's harder to see when the guy's throwing 89 because the average when you go from the bullpen to starting is to get like a, a basically a tick um but we saw that pomerantz got more than that and I think that the, you know, the the missing link there, and I haven't seen it really researched as well as I as I wish, is max velocity. So, you know, let me look at Pomerantz before I look at Norris. But Pomerantz, um, you know, if you look at his max velocity when he was in the pen versus um, when he was starting, I don't think it changed as much. Well. I did a little bit. His max velocity went from uh, 95, 96 as a starter to uh, 97. But see, that's that's like one tick, right? His his max velocity went up like one tick, and his sitting velocity went up from 91, 92 to 95. Yeah, he was fun to watch 
yeah, in in the bullpen. Like he was really fun to watch down the stretch. Let's look at Daniel Norris just for the heck of it. We don't have anything better to do. Uh, and let me look at his max velocity. Well, I see, you know, his max velocity is uh, was ninety four ninety five last year, which is pretty poor. But if he's sitting uh, ninety two and a half in spring, I would probably guess that his max velocity is up too. And that was actually something that uh, Farhan Zaidi mentioned about acquiring. Oh no! I think it was um, it was uh, uh, Sabian uh, was saying it about um, Jake Peavy or or some one of their old uh, one of the guys that they picked up that like when they had a, they had that rotation of old starters um, and they saw someone throw and they said we saw him throw like two fastballs that were ninety six and so we signed him. That's all it took. Yeah. So max velocity is really important. Um, Norris has a little bit of it there. Um, it's certainly better than it was in 2018 when his max velocity was 92, 93. Um, and back going further back, uh, Norris has had max velocities, uh, of 96, 97. So if he can get back to those, um, he's viable as a reliever and also better as a starter. But, uh, Sean Anderson, uh, was on the list and, you know, you don't want to make too much of a, reliever turning into a starter having a velo boost in the spring um but it is nice to know that he can sit 95 out of the pen um and you know if he has anything more left um i think he's actually a decent uh choice there for this for the closer i know other people have talked about trevor gott um and i know he was having a terrible spring sean anderson was but um, he's my pick for for closer in San Francisco uh, because you know out of the pen I could see him uh, striking more guys out um, and just being good enough to be a closer when they're bad. Yeah, I had um I had him stashed away in a few keeper leagues, just thinking that there was a chance he'd be the guy. It's still very much up in the air at this point, but uh, I did like him a lot more working in relief. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula is developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com, enter the promo code RATES at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com, and enter promo code RATES for 25% off your first order, drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code rates. All right, you know, we had a question come in as we were talking, I think a week ago, about some concerns we had with starting pitchers building up for the shortened season. And the follow-up question came in from Dan. Uh, he wrote, I was, listen- I was listening to the most recent episode and your discussion about how starting pitchers might struggle to get stretched out with an abbreviated spring training. It got me thinking I have zero faith in Major League Baseball to give the player sufficient time to prepare for the season once the shutdown is over. 
which means that starting pitchers will be unlikely to make full-length starts for the first few weeks of the season. This will mean fewer Ks and far fewer wins for starting pitchers, right? Combining that with the shortened season means that if starting pitchers lose value for the first couple of weeks, uh, they could be cutting into a significant portion of the regular season. So long story short, should we be discounting the value of starting pitchers as a group because of these issues? And it maybe is related to the reliever topic from Tuesday's episode, if we're if we're going to bring reliever values up or top end reliever values up, maybe we are pulling starting pitcher values down a little bit. Uh, what do you think here? No, I, I think there's a, a growing trend here, and I'm going to try and nail it down for the. Uh, I'm going to try and nail it down for uh, for my column on Friday, which is uh, we you know we talked about already that um, the the value of a starting pitcher some of it comes from bulk, so the f- less bulk there is in a in a full season, um, the the less value they have over relievers. Um, I think this is an extension of that. So if, if some part of the starting pitchers values in bulk and they have less bulk themselves within this context of a, of a shorter season, um, you know, I think that's going to, uh, going to make it even worse for starters. So, you know, we talked about the Jesus Lazardo thing where, you know, he may not make it to the fifth. Well, what if everybody is Jesus Lazardo and everybody's pitching, you know, in, just into the fourth uh, for the first two or three weeks? I think that'll, um, you know, suppress wins even further. Um, I think I mentioned uh, Trevor Richards as as a person uh, that could come in and um, and do that. And I talked about uh, possibly looking at six starters um, that that lose the job uh, as people that can. Uh, come in and be that bridge that they need. So Joe Ross, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Trevor Richards is one. Uh, Ross Stripling, even if he's not in the rotation, he will be. Him and Gonsolin will probably be in the major leagues fulfilling this role. Uh, and that just shows how the Dodgers are are in a good position to deal with this issue. Um, even with uh, Clayton Kershaw being older. Uh, and David Price and Urias being, you know, on the sort of Luzardo uh, situation, um, I think Ross Stripling and Tony Gonsolin can come in and uh, give them two or three innings in the middle and, and be their tandem starters, basically. Uh, Tyler Molly uh, at the Reds, um, uh, maybe Joe Palumbo or Colby Allard with the Rangers. Um, Austin Pruitt. Ooh, Austin Pruitt is not going to win the fifth starter role with the Astros. He's going to be their plug and play, uh, tandem guy. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to call that right now. And, um, for the Mets, Steven Gonzalez. In fact, in my OOTP that I'm doing with Brad Johnson, Steven Gonzalez is like two and O in the first five games. Uh, with like a 15k9 because all he does is come in for like two and a half innings and get the win it's fun managing those teams that way where you can kind of put in these little twists like that and and use bulk relievers a bit more than uh, some of these individual teams have to this point but yeah we're gonna have 29 man rosters it sounds like when play resumes I, i thought that was maybe for the first month that was the report that that i saw i don't know if that's been finalized or if that will be subject to change. But if you think about an expanded roster, I think you're exactly right. The the bulk relievers who are already on the roster and then the first, maybe even first two pitchers who got sent down, they might be up. And there might be a lot of tandem starting 
going yeah. on. Yeah. What happens with all those guys the Indians sent down? Why did they jump the gun on that? Are they going to be able to take Kerenchak back up now? Uh, that was that was weird. You know, nobody else is making transactions. The Indians. It's like that that tweet meme where it's like nobody, absolutely nobody. The Indians. We're going to send three people down. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty weird. It happened right after we talked about Plesac versus Savali, and you know, we took took different sides on that. And they both got sent down, and I think it. I still think there's something going on with players who had opt-outs versus guys who had options remaining where teams chose to option players down and hold some of the guys who were in camp as NRIs instead, and that's not necessarily a reflection of what they're going to do when the season actually starts. It does read more, less about um, you know service time manipulation because we don't. there's so, much, so many questions about service time in this year and more about keeping some veterans uh, from having to DFA some veterans later. So I, I, I agree with you on that. Um, Cal Quantrill, if he doesn't become the fifth starter with uh, the, the, the Padres, is interesting in this role. Um, I think Tyler Chatwood is going to make it, but that makes Alec Mills. Alec Mills has good uh, stuff ratings. And I didn't want to, you know, I don't think he even showed in my ranks, and maybe he should have, but... Um, uh, he, you know, I want to to find it to to tell you it. Uh, Alec Mills. Uh, oh, it's not stuff. He has a ninety-one stuff, but he has a hundred and ten command plus. Um, so that wasn't enough for me to rank him because he also didn't have a role. But you know, command that good uh, does give you a chance. So um, you know, I think Alec Mills, especially in this role that we're talking about, could be exciting. Um. Randy Dobnak? Oh, yeah, we got a question about Dobnak. I, I didn't get it directly into the outline, but I think someone was asking us more or less what we think about him in the upcoming season. Yeah, you know, I really... Uh, uh, when you watch him, it, it seems like maybe another kind of Andrew Trigg situation um, where you've got like a, a side-arming starter that does just enough against lefties uh, to be... Uh, to be a, a decent starter, not like a front end starter, to be decent. Normally, you know, when you throw from that slot, when you're that far down, um, you uh, you have massive platoon splits. You know, that's why you end up being a roogie most of the time, a righty one out guy. Um, but there's something interesting that I looked at when when I look at um, the outcomes for Dobnak against lefties. Uh, his slider gets a lot of whiffs and his pitches weren't hit uh, by lefties. His ISO on all of his pitches from lefties, uh, the highest was the uh, 0.077 on sinkers. So I don't know if that's just luck, you know, given his arm slot and the movement on his pitches, he really should be um, a, 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 a kind of a righty reliever. But uh, I could see him having a couple Andrew Triggs type years. So I, I have some shares of Dobnak, actually. And Triggs, yeah, I put up probably some better numbers than people remember when he was healthy. And uh, unfortunately, injuries really took a toll on him. And it's actually, it's good that you mentioned the injuries because there is something about most of those deliveries. Oh, look, Rotowire News says Dobnak has been building momentum as a favorite to win the number five starter spot. Uh, that was March 20 or five years ago. Um, 
the uh, uh, if he does, I actually like him as an AL only guy, um, and I had him as a bit of a target in AL labor. But there is something about the way that a lot of people throw from that arm slot that does lead to hip injuries. So they put stress on their hip labrum the way a lot of pitchers put stress on their shoulder labrum. They kind of drive the hip into the ground and then swing around it. And that grinding led to, for example, uh, hip surgeries for Sishek and Darren O'Day. As well as some other people. I, I did a piece on it once, but... Um, yes, there is some potential for injury in that hip, uh, and that's. But I think uh, Triggs Triggs in with perhaps a chance to be better. And again, a member of an organization that is handling pitching very well in this era too. And sometimes I think sometimes some of their brilliance in Minnesota is not necessarily making the shapes of the pitches any better. Because, for example, Dominic's change looks basically like a sinker and a seven mile slower. So that's not you wouldn't say that's a traditionally a good. Uh, pitch for him but if you look at what Odorizzi did so well part of it is throwing pass balls higher in the zone and then part of it is just a better uh, uh, strategy when it came to his breaking balls and so uh, I think that uh, sometimes a strategy in terms of where you put it and when you put certain pitches uh, I think that's a little bit of their brilliance in Minnesota yeah I definitely agree with you there it's not always just overpowering or great stuff Thanks a lot for the question, Dan. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Let's go rapid fire here on these next couple of questions. I got one from James about head-to-head innings pitch limits per week. Uh, what is a good minimum number of innings pitched in a week? They had a head league. I researched and I'm getting numbers anywhere between 20 and 40. So, you know, kind of considering some of the things that we've uh, talked about in the last couple of weeks of the shortened season, do you err a bit lower if you're doing a weekly head-to-head league and setting that up? I mean, it's just about wh- how you feel about streaming, how much streaming you want to allow. Uh, with five starters, I would assume that your starters, I would be okay with having five starters on a team. And so if I'm okay with having five starters on a team, then I'm okay with at least having 25 uh, to 30 innings, I feel like. And uh, because, you know, some of them might be two starters and then you have to put in the relievers. So I think 20 is, is if that's, if he's talking about, oh, minimum. Okay. Um, So minimum is the other thing. So you want to look at um, uh, how many innings you would get from just using relievers over a week, and I think that you would assume you would only get uh, sort of fifteen or so uh, from like five relievers over a week on average. So twenty means that you have to like start one guy. Um, I think that's still a bit low. I think I would go for thirty or forty uh, because you're trying to uh, discourage probably an all reliever setup. 
Yeah, if you think of nine pitching slots, you know, three innings per reliever, if you went all nine spots, that would be just short of 30. So I think that's probably a good number to shoot for. If you are going smaller, uh, you know, pare it down a little bit. But I think at least three innings per pitching slot would be a good minimum mm-hmm. sort of requirement if you're trying to steer people away from going all relievers. Uh, you could also definitely use like the starting pitcher versus relief pitcher designations on some league providers as well. Thanks a lot for the question, James. Uh, next question comes in. It's about the baseball, and uh, it was interesting. I think it came from Nate, and the basic question was, what ball will Major League Baseball be using upon resuming? And maybe we can figure it out from the baseballs they were using this spring. And, and Nate took some time and had some ideas for for why we're not going to go back to uh, the pre-2019 ball, which I, th- I thought was was interesting, but we're not going to rehash all those here. Uh, what did we hear over the course of spring training about the baseball from some of the pitchers who were willing to talk about it? Yeah, I think it was Masahiro Tanaka who uh, has a unique perspective on things because he uh, lost his splitter and blamed it on the 2019 ball. And he said that in the spring that it was a, a 2018 ball. And I know there was another pitcher that agreed with him. Um, and we know that the the postseason suggested at least that there's a possibility that some 2018 balls were being mixed in, that there were some um, long drives. I mean, we're in particular a Will Smith near home run that everybody figured was a home run until it wasn't um, in Dodger Stadium. So uh, I think there's a chance that it, it gets dejuiced a little. And, um, you know, the, the question was a little bit about um and i engaged i engaged um nate on this uh, on email but the question is a little bit more about would the team would the league do this uh would this be uh, something they want to do um would they would would they rather break records with home runs uh given that they're coming back off of this uh this time off and um I don't know. The thing that's uh, difficult for me here is that I don't think that the league did this on purpose the first time that they juiced the ball on purpose. I think it was kind of the result of some streamlining and some activities at Rawlings um, and maybe some lack of oversight and not necessarily um, something that was done on purpose. But I have to admit that once Pandora's box is open, once the ball has been changed, once baseball admits they changed the ball, that it now seems much more possible that they would change the ball on purpose um, going forward. So, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like, um, I feel like uh, it's certainly possible that the ball is just as juiced. I don't think that they necessarily uh, want to go back. Yeah, I think taking more control of it, they might bring it down a little but i don't think we're going all the way back to a completely normal baseball either uh, for some of the reasons nate mentioned I think fans like offense like casual fans especially really like offense we we, we were, there was a little bit of of risk in 2014 with the way pitchers were pitching the way velocity was up the way strikeouts rates were up in 2014 there was a little bit of a risk that we were going to have a game that was all strikeouts you know and just didn't have that homer component. So then 2015 through 2019, at least balanced it out a little bit by um, rewarding balls in play, rewarding uh, fly balls at least. And so um, 
I don't think that we want to deaden the ball to 2014 and have like a 23% league-wide strikeout rate, 94-mile-an-hour average fastball among starters, um, and no homers. That I think uh, I almost don't think anybody wants that. That's probably going too far back the other direction, so maybe we can find something closer to the middle ground, probably erring on the side of an offensively charged environment. It kind of just seems like where MLB is going to want to thread the needle, so to speak. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left on this episode, and Eno, you've got a, a really cool beer project you've been working on, so we're going to do another beer of the week installment here as we close things out. Uh, what project are you working on, and, and what beer is on your mind this week? Uh, well, I, I, I'm launching a site next week called supportbeer.com, and uh, there's a two-pronged reasoning behind this in two-pronged uh, effort here. Uh, and we've got a team of data entry people, uh, a lot of them working in the beer industry, giving them, um, a, you know, really poorly paying, but, um, you know, some so a little bit of pay during this ter- terrible time. And what they're doing is entering in the information for uh, as many brewers as they can around the country and giving you uh, a URL, basically, that can get you directly to supporting the people that work at the brewery. So either it's a Patreon or a GoFundMe for the bartenders at your favorite beer bar or your favorite brewery, uh, the people that work there, the brewers that have been furloughed or or laid off. Um, you know, there's a lot of those types of links. And then there's also, uh, in a slightly more fun way, uh, links to directly buying the beer from the breweries. So a lot of states have relaxed their rules when it comes to, uh, you know, delivering beer in the mail um, and buying beer directly from uh, from breweries. And so um, I've taken full advantage of this in California. I've bought beer in the last week from Highland Park in L.A., Pure Project in San Diego. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Humble Sea in in Santa Cruz, Santa Darius in Santa Cruz, Cellar Maker in San Francisco. If you are in California, you can order from any one of these places and get delivery direct. Um, and so uh, those are my collective beers of the week, uh, I would say. And then uh, the one other fun thing is there's going to be a way for users and readers to submit links of their own. Um, and they just have to fill out a Google form and it'll show up. And what we'll have is a filterable uh, situation where you could uh, click a couple filters and see what places deliver in your state. Yeah, very cool. And then you could just get just the breweries that deliver in your state and get a, get a list of those. So um, trying to make uh, some fun come out of this uh, out of this time. Um, and you know, with the relaxed rules, it's a it's an opportunity to to directly support some businesses that are having a tough time right now. Yeah, looking forward to that launching. Uh, in the meantime, I've been trying to buy local beers each week on my supply run. I'd look for something local. I try not to overbuy either, just from a, a personal going over the I, top standpoint. I think I overbought. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that will happen with the the launch of this new project, but I did pick up another beer from Central Waters. They've made on a few occasions a beer called Call Me Old Fashioned. It is an imperial red ale brewed with cherries, a touch of bitters, then aged in brandy, bourbon, and orange curacao barrels. Um, so it's the Wisconsin take uh, or Wisconsin classic old-fashioned cocktail basically uh, made into a beer. And if Central Wait. Waters makes it, I will drink it. Old-fashioned is a Wisconsin drink? It's very popular here, yeah. Wow. 
So I asked you if it was a sour because I've had a sour from Almanac called Truthful Statement. And this is a dark sour ale inspired by a classic old-fashioned. We fermented a velvety imperial stout with our house sour culture, then aged it in Woodford Reserve bourbon barrels along with sweet bing cherries. And yeah, some freshly yeah. zested oranges. It's delicious. I it, mean, was, it was very good. <laughs> it sounds amazing. And uh, yeah, it's one of yeah. the things I'm missing right now is a good old fashioned. We got a, a local place here in Madison. They've served, I think it's close to a million old fashions. They've been open for about 10 or 12 years now. And the restaurant is called the old fashioned. Uh, so to get that in a different form in a beer form from one of my favorite breweries, uh, I thought that was a really good release. So I was happy to pick some of that up. A real quick random thought I just had. Do you have any sours in your house? Do I? Uh, I don't think I have any right now. I gotta double check and see if there's one floating around in the cellar. Well, I just mention it because you know sours are made by blending, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a this. I think that description included some blending in there. It's not a crazy idea when you're at least like like have a half of your central water stout. If you have a sour litter around, pour some sour in. With your stout. Yeah, just to give it that extra little twist. Yeah, because I mean, the old fashioned is a versatile drink. Like, you can kind of mix and match how you want it. If you want it sour, if you want it sweet, you yeah. can put different little twists on it. So I might, it's not I might a have crazy to do that. idea. This is, these are crazy times. If, you, if you're nearing the end of one beer and you've got another beer that you're like, I wonder what these two would taste together. Try it. You know, don't let people turn their nose up at you. Try it. You know, there are people who make beer cocktails. You know, these, these are things that happen. Uh, and, and the way you make a sour is to blend different beers together. So you're just doing some home blending. Um, I just think it's a, it's a fun idea. I, I, I'll see if I can try it. I've got a, a, a few. I don't want to, I wouldn't say pour two whole beers into each other because then, boy, if it doesn't work out. Then <laughs> you've just ruined two. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. the last couple ounces and first couple ounces would be the best exactly. way to, uh, to yeah. test that if you're going to go down that road. Uh, if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take the moment to do that. We really appreciate all of you who've done that so far. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, we do have a 90-day free trial. I think if you click on any link when you're not signed in right now, you can get access to that. And uh, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels if you would like to sign up. We greatly appreciate all of our subscribers, of course, uh, in times like these and, and all the time, really. As always, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Be sure to spell out the word and if you do that. And again, we'll get back to you in the next few days if you submitted a Project GOAT uh, entry. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates in Barrels. Stay safe out there. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.